0: The 5th of June brings the series of Insights Over Lunch to a close. This series of lunchtime conversations intended to capture insights from some of society's thought leaders, given the unprecedented times we live in. Part of my role at Warwick University is to make sure our programmes remain relevant and continue to serve the needs of society. To do this, it's important to be part of the research and industry community. The people I speak to in this series and have spoken to in this series form my professional network and I rely on them to inform and help steer our educational offerings. We've seen seismic shifts in all areas of life. The extraordinarily pervasive nature of COVID-19 will have lasting effects. To discuss this, my lunchtime guests today are Stuart Bestwick, Head of Service Design and Improvement at Hampshire County Council, and Mike James Moore, who built his career at Land Rover, Director of Manufacturing and Director of Industrial Engineering, joined WMG in 1995 and who I've had the pleasure to work with and learn from since I joined some 20 years ago. Now Mike is retired and dabbles in the occasional consulting. Welcome to lunch. Thank you. Can I start by asking Stuart and um, what services do Hampshire County Council deliver? And can you give us an indication of the scale of the council and your role within it?
1: Uh, hi, yes, uh, thanks for the invite. Um, so, Hampshire County Council is one of the larger councils, uh, county councils in the country. Um, it's got a revenue budget, uh, sort of like a turnover of 1.7 billion a year, um, and it employs directly roughly about 13,000 people. Um, that's not including the people in the schools. If you include schools, that takes it up to around 40,000, I think, is the current number. Um, and the services, it's its such a diverse organisation. Um, about half of the budget is spent on adult services, as you probably imagine. Um, a quarter of the budget on children's services, which are fairly similar. So lots of community teams, uh, lots of help for vulnerable people. Um, and um, working with also providers to uh, support and to deliver services out in the communities. Um, And then the last quarter of the budget is split between um, something that you um, traditionally see within councils of um, uh, highways and recycling. um, And then the other bit is around parks, libraries um, and uh, outdoor centres, with a little bit left over for running the corporate centre. Um, but uh, it's fairly complex organisation, probably the most um, diverse and complex organisation I've ever worked in. Um, you've got different cultures within all of those departments. So if you compare engineers with um, social workers, for example, um, very, very different backgrounds um, and paradigms that they, they work in. Um, my role, I joined three and a half years ago from coming from uh, uh, industry and the private sector as a management consultancy um and they asked me to set up an internal practice or to help uh, establish an internal practice um to help the organization with its transformation challenges so as you can imagine we've taken 580 million out of the budgets over the last seven or eight years um we've still got further challenges ahead um in order to be able to keep up with the cost of inflation um but What
0: uh, what do you think the main um the main challenges. So, if, I mean, that, those are great results and it's a big challenge. Where, where, what do you think is the biggest thing that you need to address within effecting those changes? You know, is, is it about um, clear plans or is it about um, communicating or is it about uh, teaching tools to people to help them redesign things? What do you think is the main or, or is it just a blend of all those areas to be able to effect the change?
1: Um, one of my favourite words is "it depends," because <laughs> we've got so many different uh, um, uh, departments, and they're at different stages in their transformation process. And um, part of our role is skills transfer, so we've developed uh, um, a very loose, lean Six Sigma um, uh, green belt for the public sector, which has helped them um, uh, approach some of the process and service redesign. Um, we also do change management and project management training to upskill the frontline team so that they can do more and build it into business as usual um, there's usually a big cultural element to it as well um, we heard and we were very fortunate before covid in um, rolling out hybrid devices and we were all getting familiar with office 365 and sharepoint um, but not as uh, fast as we could have been across the whole of the organization in using things like teams um and more virtual um use of um uh, meetings for example to cut down on travel um but obviously that's accelerated it so in many yes. ways it's been an advantage. How, has,
0: how has the pandemic how has it affected how has it affected the services that hampshire county council offer how what was the what are the impacts
1: um it was quite profound um we um we we're obviously used to emergency planning for all sorts of various reasons so we have the usual bronze silver and gold uh, command meetings set up everybody knows the rules and they're set up to function um we had on paper plans to deal with um, an outbreak um but of course those plans on paper when you design them based on not knowing what the reality is going to be like um it really, we struggled to start with in terms of being able to respond. Um, forecasting and predicting was, was very, very difficult, and we were having to rely on it. Um, the way we reacted was to be very disciplined, and we waited to follow and see what the guidance was from the government. Mm. Um, and within the organisation in the background, we were quickly adapting the services so that they could continue to um, uh, deliver uh, in lockdown. Um, obviously a lot of the services are still frontline, um, but um, some of the services have kind of been mothballed, um, others have continued, so highways obviously have carried on, um, and some of the um, waste um, uh, recycling and and, um, uh, uh, and disposal has carried on. Um, but adults and children's services seen an increase, not only in demand, but also complexity um, and having to deal with that new way, the way that we work and the way that we engage with people. Um, and again, some of the adoption of technology, we've had successes working with um, children and families and care leaders where before getting them to use technology to keep in touch was slow. Um, that's really accelerated because they can see the value of it and they maintain the contact.
0: Mm. Yes, gosh. Right. I'm going to come back and unpick some more of them because that's fascinating. Okay. Um, but I'm um, Mike. Mike, may I turn to you and and ask? You know, in your in your time of the your senior leadership positions at Land Rover, um, did you ever see a kind of a, a a shock of this scale or this kind of magnitude in your in your time in those positions? Uh,
2: nothing of this sort of magnitude. I don't think. I mean, other than. British Leyland sort of going bust, and Sir Michael Edwards' new uh, working plan. Well, I was industrial engineer and industrial engineering director for the whole PL Cars at the time, prior to moving to Land Rover. Um, <clears throat> the the one <laughs> rather small example, I suppose, which personally hit me. Um, I, I was responsible uh, when I my, in my job at Land Rover of uh, closing down the 21 Land Rover factories and putting them all um, onto the Solihull site mm. in, in a period of two years on a very limited budget and one of the key issues we had an old paint shop at Land Rover which used to build, uh, do the SD1 and we needed to, in order to uh, build uh, the, the cars, we needed to turn it round backwards and set it up to build, to to paint um, four-by-four vehicles. Um, And one of the jobs that I had to do was, of course, choose a contractor to to do this work for us, uh, which uh, we did. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I always used to stay uh, at the plant during the, the annual breakdown and um, three days after the holiday started, where there's pretty well everybody away, the contractor suddenly rang up and said, "Sorry, not doing the job," <laughs> and it needed to be it needed to be started, you know, in ten days' time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, because my career had been really in manufacturing. My experience of um, dealing with contracts and contractors and so forth was was limited in terms of so I managed to get the first director off holiday, <laughs> get him back, yeah. get a hold of one of the only fortunately only three companies in the country who could who could do the work, get them together and get uh, uh, and. Get a contract set up ready to to run 10 days later, uh, which (laughs) required a lot of flexibility. Mm. We didn't have the technology in those days for for talking to people. I mean, all you'd got really was fax and telephone, it's a long time ago. Mm. Um, And it was quite surprising. I mean, we actually got the the two alternative contractors together. Well, I've never done that before, and said, you know, what could you do? You know, how could we do it? Like, we've got a plan, but you you'd do it differently. Um, and we got them together, uh, together with our purchasing people. And in that in that ten days, we did something which normally took about six months, I suppose. Mm. Uh, and flexibility and and. and it's interesting how you can get competitors to,
1: to um, work together.
0: Yeah. Mike, yeah. Were able to um, yeah.
1: identify sorry Mike it's okay. were, you able, were you able to identify how you were able to speed up that decision making process and that collaboration because that's something we're seeing um, throughout the COVID lockdown as
2: well.
1: I mean the truthful answer to is
2: no other than when talking to the competitors, you know, they could see the need, they they could see the, uh, the the pressures on Land Rover, which were whichever company was in, or they both got joined in in the end. They, they were prepared to to change because they saw the pressure. You know, Land Rover we'd have gone bust if we hadn't been able to to, to pull that off. And and so we weren't, we didn't do anything, or I didn't do anything specifically to try and encourage that. It was just a a, a gut feel. I've got to get everybody together who might be able to help and Mm. and see if they uh, put the problem to them and see if they were prepared to play ball. And the the answer was they were, Mm. much to my surprise
0: and you can see that you can see that in in the pandemic that there really is and um, now that things are starting mm-hmm. to opening up this feels a more uncertain and a more challenging and a more f- um, fric- friction in this in this period between all sorts of different things whereas when we were asked to lock down i think i think the nation understood this is why we need to do it and we could all action and find ways around it to make it happen but now feels like a more uncertain and more challenging time that we're going through as we as we try to edge our way forward with all the different you know all the different elements of friction that there will be between supply chains relationships competitors companies and they're all services they're all going to have slightly different um, agendas priorities and move at slightly different paces and um, I just want can I could I just return to Stuart just to say you know that kind of that particular instance Do you do you have any What what examples, do you have examples that you could share of where you addressed something very rapidly in the lockdown?
1: Yeah, so there's several things. There was some which were parts of um, projects where we'd already got established timelines. um, And we were thinking that that was a reasonable amount of time to to make things to happen. And other things which were um, immediate um, uh, responses to the uh, COVID outbreak. Um, So some of the immediate responses is we um, were able to take over a couple of hotels and turn them into step-down beds to take people out of hospitals quickly, Um, very quickly set up a a temporary mortuary um, uh, in order to be able to cope with uh, the increased um, uh, demand that might be seen there. Um, And also we set up, we we were planning to set up on our contact centre and setting up more things like um, chats um, chat box and also um, um, more self-serve. And we were able to accelerate that from sort of like a six-month timeline on the project into two weeks. And that was with co-op- that, and that was with cooperation from, yeah, in all cases, with cooperation and collaboration with health partners um, and with providers and also with the staff. Um, so we found things like user acceptance, sign-off was much quicker and easier, um, we found uh, um, in terms of mis- meetings, um, remote meetings were happening a lot quicker. Um, people arrived on time and, and we finished usually earlier on the meetings, but decisions were made. Um, so it, it, it proved quite um, quite beneficial in terms of the way that we were able to react and react quickly. Yeah,
2: uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, a much bigger situation in your case than mine, but... I mean, I remember I, I, there, was nobody, there was nobody there, everybody was on holiday, so I couldn't get great lumps of people together. And what we find was, was people like myself taking decisions above my pay grade.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and I know when, when the managing director came back, I went with trepidation on, on the door, knocked on the door and said, uh, this is what I've done, boss. <laughs> it's going to cost you more, but we'll get it back. <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, he said, well, he did have no option except say tick, because otherwise his job would have gone as well. (laughs) But but I I agree entirely. In in other lesser situations, um, there is much more opportunity for teamwork these days because communication is so fast.
0: Mm. It's funny, isn't it? I mean, that was one of the mantras I remember from um, delivering continuous improvement techniques to the NHS. You know, one of the easy mantras was that, you know, common sense isn't that common. Mm. Um, but actually, when you when you have a situation where you understand what the risks are, and you understand the purpose and why you're there. Common sense seems very strong to prevail for the decision making and. Um, and I think that's it's. It seems to certainly it seems to help decision making and action things much more quickly. Harnessing that is is challenging. Um, when when things become less pressured and we go back to transitioning and and being seen to be making, um, fair, informed, consulted decisions, um, in it, it seems less straightforward. Uh, I mean, <laughs> society is going to change, you know. So it's going to change. Um. N- people speculate how, um, but there will be changes in, in our attitudes, maybe even changes in our core values as a society. We, we're looking at the world a little bit differently from having this hiatus, this break um, in, in living the norm. What do you feel, either of you, what do you feel will be a prevailing a prevailing um, challenge or change in value or behaviour for society going forward?
2: Well, I think the the mere fact that we've actually recognised that there are a lot of so-called unskilled people who are actually quite skilled and totally undervalued, Mm. and I think that I I hope that we will find a way to uh, uh, change that and make it make make some of those jobs more uh, understood as to what they were. and yeah. that that will change things and mm. letting and letting people because they're distributed rather like we did in the paint job um, make their own decisions mm. rather than have it directed from above
0: yes yeah do you do you see that Stuart? do you do you feel that will be something that impacts your service provision as as the council or or even the way the council makes decisions internally?
1: Um, it's certainly something that we, we're aware of. And part of, you know, if, if ever you're, you're faced with a situation like this, you try and identify and hoover up any innovation or any advantage that it, it provides. And that's something that we're actually thinking about, is how do we maintain that faster, more empowered decision making through the organization while maintaining the appropriate level of um, risk management um because obviously with with the services that we provide um the um and the service user of the community the individual you know the risk can be quite quite catastrophic in certain cases so we, we do have to make sure that we maintain that um i think yeah we again with our, our workforce we've accelerated the um, organization's capacity and also appetite for uh, remote working which i think yep. we might be able to take advantage of in the future um and uh, um, and reduce the footprint both in terms of uh, office space but also travel that will be that will result in it um um, and i think in addressing all of those things what we're going to have to work out what we need to concentrate on is how do we positively reinforce all the good things to encourage it to grow and flourish as well as controlling some of the negative things which will take us back to the old ways of working and and in terms of decision making mm. and for us of course that makes it even more interesting because we have to take into the political dimension of uh, working with the councillors and um, and the um um uh, impact on the decision making to make sure that they're fully engaged and fully aware of what's happening and how it's happening yeah. um one other quick thing is, is it, it, it has been interesting one of the ways that we did respond was to try and alleviate and some of the pressure on the front line was we were asking internally for volunteers as well. Um, and a lot of the people that have gone and helped and supported on the front line, it's been a real eye opener. And I was just thinking about your uh, comment, Mike, in that um, people going and helping in those frontline difficult jobs um, are actually quite enthusiastic when they come out of it. And I think part of it will be getting people to uh, to challenge that perception of some you know, some of the domiciliary care work and some of the care homework is not as bad and as horrible as you might think, and actually it's very rewarding and, uh, and worthwhile. Yes,
2: uh, I agree. I mean, I think one of the problems, if, if this change is, well, it's, the change is going to happen anyway, is for, and even more difficult in your sort of situation, but with people in power being prepared to let go of some of their power, yeah, yeah. Right. If we want this innovation and and the and the, and the uh, lower people in, in this in this in the strata of any organisation to do their thing and use their skills to, because they're the people who who know about it you know, and they can come up with and I found that um, in my in my days at at uh, at Rover, one of the things I did when um, we had the relationship with Honda, and I went over to Honda and I, I realized I'd, I hadn't. what I'd been doing for the previous thirty five years was, was nonsense, and there was a different way of, of doing it. Um, and we used to allocate jobs for the going down the line, for example, four people doing this, you know, and we specified it, and we give them times and whatever. When we passed that down to them, on average, the workforce reduced the times by 10 percent on anything us as industrial engineers could actually do, but it really made it very difficult for the senior supervision to say, "But you know, who said you could do that?" Mm-hmm. That's a, and it is very going to be very difficult for middle management, particularly, to let the power go. Yeah, yes. I mean that's always been the case. I'm sure you found that, Stuart, in your improvement programs. Absolutely, and time to be in space. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I. mean, when when I mean when I when I was researching, you know, the kind of systems required for self care in the community, and we we worked on that. You were involved in consulting in that area, Stuart. And um, <coughs> one of the questions that arose for for me that. Um, you know, again, if it's a community you're working with, as with a workforce community, you know, how do you reach the hard to reach? And I I felt like um, that was a significant question that, you know, I don't feel, I mean, I certainly, I don't feel I ever bottomed that question out. You know, if it's difficult to get engagement from certain people, it's difficult to know how to reach in to get that engagement. I think um, when I spoke with Sarah Ellis from the, the Royal Shakespeare Company, she observed, that you know, this sort of, out to the community, you know, the streaming um, and, and online demand theater had opened up a whole new audience that wouldn't ever have normally gone to a theater. And what maybe Sarah just cautioned against was, as we revert back, so the theaters will reopen, what her job was, was um, the theatre is going to take care of itself. You know, the actors love it. They're going to create it. The audiences are going to come back. But what her her role was really to make sure that those that had been included in this strange digital world remain included, you know, so so recognizing how that inclusion can be fostered going forward as, as you know, the world sort of reinvents itself. Um, I, I the question I guess maybe t- to to both of you is really what who do you feel need most um, advocated for and protected uh, to be able to and how do you feel you will um ensure that um that inclusion going forward?
1: Um, <laughs> it's a
0: hard question, I know. <laughs>
1: um if I I'll go first, Mike, and um then okay. uh, you can hoover up afterwards. The um, <laughs> Um, the interesting thing is, and I don't want to be appear like overly optimistic as a, as a result of this, but I think it does present us with a real opportunity. Um, because with the services that the council provides, our focus has to be with reduced um, uh, budget. What we have to do is how do we make sure that we save the really value add, face to face and um, uh, hand holding type contact um, for the for the most vulnerable and those that need it. And that there's a slight disparity or slight variation between the appetite and understanding of the people employed by Hampshire County Council about the adoption and use of technology against the various user segments. And it's not as simple as, um, you know, going doing segmentation based on demographics or geography or anything like that. It's down to the individual. And there are some individuals who are more than happy to use Snapchat or Um, WhatsApp or something like that to maintain contact with a a supporter or a community worker. But there are others that aren't and aren't capable. And it's about how you get that uh, that match and that mix so that you get the right and appropriate channel to help the right person. And I think in that way we'll be able to make our um, our funding go much further to help more people. but it is it is that nuanced. it's down to that sort of level of um, um, almost CRM at, uh, um, um, at how you provide and, and align your service to your service users
0: and again I mean that's something I mean way back at the, the beginning of these talks I spoke with with Peter Lynham and he talked very much about the importance of relationships and I guess he was talking about the importance of relationships from individuals in one business to individuals in another and here, you know, I hear that importance of relationship coming from the the actual service provider and, and yeah. those that you're providing to, and that devolvement of the decision-making to them to determine the right way forward for each individual case. Yeah,
2: um, yeah I agree. And, I mean, there's all sorts of issues there about broadband in, in rural areas and so forth, and they're, they're very disadvantaged, and they tend to be elderly too, and not, not uh, so technologically savvy as people in in urban areas, mm. as a general rule. I, I mean, I think it, there's a demographic thing. You know, I mean, us oldies, you know, will be gone within ten years, and most of the people who are not savvy with using the smartphone and so on will have gone. The, pe- the people coming through the next next decade. They're used to it. Maybe at a lower level, but the mobile. How long's the mobile phone been uh, in
1: general use? I don't know. Is it uh, 15, 15 25 years? years.
0: Yeah. In general. Guessing. That,
1: that, I'd hate to say when I got my first mobile phone. Mike. Yes. Well, it's a long time. Mine was a long. I can't remember.
2: But the point <laughs> is, you you go da- You go down to, uh, to uh, homeless people in the street, right? And they, many of them. Younger people will whip out their mobile phone. Mm. You go to the uh, people, older people. I've got a 94-year-old uh, neighbour, you know, and um, computers, you know, mobile phone. I can see they're useful, but I don't know how to use them, and therefore it is very difficult, other than face to face, to to actually get your 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 message over to them. Mm. Mm. Not because they don't want to know; it's because they—it's just too much effort for a lot of them.
1: Yes. And so,
2: so I think, to some degree, the problem will go away, but we've got—we've got a got maybe a decade when we when we've got to work on how do we do it, and knowing that we're going to have we're going to have a hump of people we we won't answer the question to mm. actually dealing with that. How do we do it with the people? who can't uh, access it. Yes. I I don't know the answer to that. I don't think it's still up to us either. mean, all we can do is make sure it's right for the 90% who can um, adapt to it.
1: And again, that's what I was alluding to about, where we we divert that resource to the most vulnerable and those that need it. So um, we have services, or try and get services, that are available for those that don't have access to the technology. Um, but where and even in the 90 age category, there are people that will use mobile phones and smartphones have been taught. Um, We've managed in lockdown to get my mum to engage with us on WhatsApp via video. Um, and that's made a huge difference to her life. Now, um, we do spend most of the time looking up a left nostril, but it's still quite an engaging conversation, which she benefits from. And, and and the really interesting thing about technology is, is to think about how the mobile phone has changed from the Vodafone brick that I had back in the um, late '80s to the smartphones that we've got now. Um, when the older generation are sitting at home comfortable with smartphones, what on earth will the younger generation have? Will it be implants? Will it be something else yeah. in terms of that technology? So we'll we'll just adapt again. Yeah. yeah. Yes, my son, my son is desperate to have an
2: implant so that he can you know, open his curtains and do everything else while he's on the way home and stuff. So so you're quite right, it'll be a different different world and they'll be running at a different pace to the the people we need to try and look after, which is very difficult. I mean, we're going to have, what, 15% unemployment for a period?
1: Potentially.
0: Okay I guess I, I'm mindful that um I'm, I'm keeping you over lunch so I I just like I'm I'd like to chat to you for hours but of course um you've probably got stuff to get on with so um thank you very much indeed for sharing these insights and um, I find the insights I've gained from both of you over the time I've known you, are uh, so valuable to help me develop my own practice mm-hmm. and understand um, what's important to include in our programmes to be able to bring them forward. Um, and I will do that again with this with this insight that I gained from you here. And um, for, for any students that are watching this, you know, this is lovely secondary data they can use to inform their research. So thank you both very much for that contribution and for the wider Warwick community and um, to inform and build that community uh, is so valuable. And thank you very much indeed. And um, after this series, you know, I guess I'm going to reflect a bit and think about um, what kind of themes do I see coming out? So, you know, I already can see there's a lot of there's a there's some themes coming through from all the different insights I've gained. I think I can see something like compassionate leadership, I think, as a topic. I think I see that coming through very strong um, and something that would be interesting to explore. I can see that um, inclusivity is is a huge theme that's come out through this that um, we we can get better at and we need to get better at. And I think it would be interesting to explore how to get better at it. I think um, this big systems dynamics, you know, this uh, can see that the fact that your services, you've got so many different services there, Stuart, and they all will impact on each other. And that big system dynamic is something that would be, again, interesting to explore. And I I, I see this, I've heard this word, you guys haven't mentioned it directly, but this idea of resilience, this idea that resilience is like the new sustainability um, it's not about getting it right and keeping it right it's about being able to adapt and flex and change and, and make the responses as required and um, i think digital has revolutionized has seemed to be revolutionizing the way we work but I, I think um i think what what is to be understood there or to be worked more there is to understand the role of digital and to support and to support the sort of cultural, behavioral, societal changes that we want to have happening. So I think it's got a it's got a supportive role rather than a a, a leading role particularly. Um, and then of course the other thing that falls out of that is the 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 importance of creating the future. It, it, it's not the past now is going to change. However we live going forward it will change. And we to feel empowered to feel we can create our new identities and we can create the future world that we live in. Learning and understanding approaches to make that happen, I think is an exciting way forward. So never know, I'll be back in touch and knocking your doors to help inform some of those areas. But I think it would be interesting to then bring that back to the theoretical side of academia and ask them to look around those areas to to, to bring some some programmes, some workshops, some classes forward out of that. I guess, uh, I, apart from thanking you both very much for closing the series and and for for supporting me and working with me over over these years. And um, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. And I guess um, if you want to hear more from Stuart or from Mike, then you can, of course, contact me directly. And um, I'm sure you can Google them and find them. And um, uh, otherwise, you could follow the link on the closing slide. And if you want to, this series is available on a podcast, so just search on your preferred platform on Insights over lunch. Um, Nothing more to be said apart from uh, enjoy your lunch. Thank you both very much.
1: Thank
2: you, Mary. Nice to see you again, Mike. We've enjoyed working with you over the
0: years. Thank you.